It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live Health Watch. She's writing a prescription for hope. Here's Michelle. Hey, good to have you along for the ride. Today is Health Watch, and today we're taking on a global health crisis that is killing people by the hundreds of thousands. And you know what? It's not COVID. And you know what? We knew it was coming. And you know what? We're not necessarily doing anything about it. 2020, climate change is headline news. Forests burn. And then comes COVID. It's a fast-moving pandemic. A million dead and counting. The unthinkable becomes the norm. Cities, countries under lockdown, economies radically reshaped. And against this backdrop, a chance to change the narrative on that other looming global catastrophe, the one we already know about, antibiotic resistance. If you thought COVID was bad, talk about antimicrobial resistance. That's a big one we're not really paying attention to. COVID-19 has really highlighted our vulnerability to infectious diseases in general. We know now what it means to not have effective diagnostics when we need them. As of yesterday, there are about 690,000 deaths around the world. COVID-19 was a surprise. It was an ambush. We didn't know that it was coming. But AMR, or antimicrobial resistance, we know we have a problem with. Yet we still today have about 700,000 deaths due to AMR every year. That was a statement from Elizabeth Herman from The Resistance. She was featured on a podcast, Coda Zero. That's pretty powerful. And get this, Financial Times published a piece two weeks ago stating that in the future, even cuts, you know, oops, I cut my shelf shaving or yikes, I just cut got cut chopping my broccolini. Those little owies that we don't think much about, put a Band-Aid on, you're done, could actually have fatal consequences. You heard me right. Fatal consequences. How, Michelle, you may ask? Well, with drug-resistant infections. Drug in, with drug-resistant infections. Think about it. Without antibiotics, we could look at 10 million people a year. Is that just a projection? Well, Financial Times kind of traveled through times to see how to stop the next global health crisis. Forget Corona. This one is coming and it could be a lot worse. <laughs> They're projecting it will be. It's 1928 and a Petri dish left next to an open window is about to revolutionize modern medicine. Scottish scientist Alexander Fleming finds that something in the mould growing in the dish is killing off bacteria. It's penicillin, the first antibiotic. This wonder drug and other antibiotics will go on to treat the untreatable, saving millions of lives. Antibiotics were our precious resource. We needed to use them, of course we did, but we weren't prudent. Because each time we used them, misused them and overused them, we gave the bacteria a chance to evolve, to become resistant. Has the clock really been ticking towards a post-antibiotic future? Where drug-resistant infections kill 10 million people a year? Where chemotherapy is unsafe? Where simple surgeries are too risky to perform? Where the world's biggest child killer, pneumonia, is now unstoppable? Is this just a projection? 
I'd really like to encourage you to watch that entire eight-minute video. We'll have a link on MyMichelleLive.com. It is a video from Financial Times, thinking about the times that we're in dealing with an antibacterial-resistant problem. Antibiotics were discovered nearly 100 years ago in 1928, and it was anticipated to herald a new age, the end of infectious diseases. Well, maybe not, as as it turns out, right? Maybe the most influential factor, though, in medical history, though, in medicine. Before we started antibiotics, everyday incidents were dangerous and sometimes fatal, giving birth, small scratches, uh, surgeries, you know, just easy surgeries. And now we know that antibacterial agents save maybe 200,000 American lives every year. But has that golden age of antibiotics come to a near end? Dr. Colin Cutliffe is the founder and CEO of Pendulum Therapeutics. It's a company that creates natural probiotic remedies. We're going to talk to her about the issue and maybe what we can do to prepare. Dr. Cutliffe, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. All right. 1945, a Nobel Prize acceptance speech by Alexander Fleming. He developed penicillin and he warned in that speech that there may be a time in the future, like maybe now, that antibiotics, specifically penicillin, would be bought by anyone and that the ignorant man may overdose, exposing his microbes to non-lethal quantities of the drug and make them resistant are we about there? Well, um, Michelle, it's a great question. And I think one of the things that we need to understand about antibiotics is um, their their potency and, and what they've done for us uh, since they've been developed. And let me ask you a question, Michelle. Have you ever taken an antibiotic and gotten cured almost instantaneously, like one day later, two days later, all of a sudden you're back on your feet and you're ready to hit the ground running? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Men- <laughs> Many of us have experienced that, and that's why we love antibiotics. It's like the miracle cure. As soon as you take it, you're all better again. But what we haven't realized is that much like anything that's wonderful, there's also a downside. And the downside to antibiotics is that they don't just come in and kill the bad bacteria. They're like a nuclear bomb going off in your body. And what they're doing is they're killing all of the bacteria. And there's this new science that's emerging Mm -hmm. called the microbiome. And it turns out that there are all these good bacteria inside of us. And so when we set off this nuclear bomb and we're killing all those good bacteria, there are these unexpected health consequences. And we're now starting to understand what are the downsides to antibiotics. And we need to be educated educated about that. Yeah, there's several new studies that really clearly indicate antibiotic treatment completely changes that by bi- uh, gut microbiota. How do you say that? Microbiota, right? There we go. Yes. Is that it? Okay, exactly. thank you. Not <laughs> doctor, not a doctor. Doctor, not a doctor. Dr. Cutcliffe <laughs> is with us. This is personal for you. Your daughter was born premature about two months, I understand, and she uh, spent the first few months or at least the first month of her life on machines in the hospital, pumped up with antibiotics because that's standard 
protocol for preemies. But as she grew, she suffered some of these gut issues, even food sensitivities that no one else had in your family. Is that is that part of that the story? Yes. Well, actually, it was um, really a difficult time for us when we had our first daughter. It was my it was my first baby. So I think uh, anyone who's had a baby knows that when you have your first baby, you really don't know what you're doing. Everything is sort of uh, <laughs> a new learning experience. And and here I had this daughter who was born uh, almost eight weeks premature, and she was four and a half pounds, super fragile. I got to see her for a few seconds after I delivered her and then she got taken to intensive care. And she was hooked up to all of these machines and monitors. And uh, I didn't even really know she was receiving multiple doses of antibiotics. You know, a lot of times when we're in the hospital, we know these things are happening, but we're not really paying attention to every little detail. And these, these preemies are really interesting. They give them antibiotics, not because they have an infection, but because they're so fragile, they don't want them to get an infection. And so she didn't actually need the antibiotics. And as she got older, she started to have these different health issues. She was different from the rest of our family. She has food sensitivities. She really has to watch what she eats. Her metabolism is different from the rest of us. And I didn't really draw this correlation until I started learning more about this new emerging science called the microbiome. And I started to learn about what the impacts of antibiotics could, could be. And there was a study that was done about six years ago where they looked at 25,000 uh, infants and they said, okay, for kids who have taken antibiotics systematically under the age of six months, so if you have a baby who's under six months of age and they've taken systematic antibiotics, they were also systematically more obese and prone to diabetes when they became teenagers. And then there's a more recent study that just came out from the Mayo Clinic really confirming that early childhood antibiotics, kids under the age of two years, if they'd been taking a lot of antibiotics, they were also more prone to some of these health issues later in life, including obesity, metabolic disorders, um, attention deficit disorder, all sorts of things that, you know, we don't really understand that you might have a child that's different from the rest of the family. And all of a sudden there's this link up that this microbiome, all of the bacteria that are inside of you are actually impacting your health. And when you kill them constantly over and over again, you're actually damaging your own health. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was reading the BMJ journals that, that documented that recent study that says that uh, antibiotics for children is increasing the risk of obesity when they're given early in life. And we've been just going, wee, okay, antibiotics, just come on in. You get a lollipop going, you know, going out and a, a bunch of antibiotics too. They've become standard protocol uh, uh, instead of, uh, I mean, instead of a last case scenario, haven't they? They really have. And again, it's because many of us have experienced this miracle of antibiotics where you're sick, sure. you're down and out, you're feeling terrible, you get an antibiotic and a day later you're back on your feet and we're a go, go, go kind of community here. And so we want to be go, go, go. We don't want anything to hold us back. And so antibiotics have really become a go-to and something that people go into their doctors sort of asking, hey, can I have an antibiotic? And the question we really all need to be asking is, if I take this antibiotic doctor, what are the potential risks? What are the potential downsides? That's the important question to be asking. Right. And why we have kind of 
overprescribed it. That I, I get it. You know, it, it is kind of a instant feel better thing, which is part of the downfall of antibiotics as well. Because when we feel better, we kind of stop taking them. And what we've really done is if you can look at it like a like an old movie, the bad guys are coming in, they're surrounding the house, and you shoot off that first gun and they kind of go back and retreat and you think, oh, I'm safe. No, they're still there. Uh, the, you've just stayed them off a little bit. That's kind of what happens with antibiotics when we don't completely kill the infection. That's exactly right. You have that, that problem of not entirely killing the infection. And there's another issue with antibiotics, which is when you think about like your garden, you've got a beautiful garden, you've been tending to it, taking care of it, you have all your different plants and grasses and flowers, and then you see a weed. And you see this weed and you really want to kill that weed. And so you take a pesticide and you just blast the entire garden. Well, yes, you've killed that weed. But you've also killed all of your beautiful flowers and the things that you've been growing that are really great for your garden. That's really what we're doing with antibiotics. We're killing that weed, but we're also killing our entire garden, which we need. And some of that can be a real problem if we are just taking it as standard protocol when we have, uh, when we already have pre-existing conditions, when we're going in for surgeries, because the the antibiotic is kind of weakening us when we need to be as strong as possible to recover. The other thing I wanted to get to before we get to some of the hope and what you've been able to do to uh, stave off the overuse of antibiotics for folks is we're in the midst of a pandemic, Dr. Cutcliffe. We are worried about catching the virus. Uh, Now, antibiotics on one hand are being uh, prescribed on a record level because people are concerned and yet it has no effect on the coronavirus. That's absolutely right. And this is something, this again speaks to uh, the experiences that many of us have had with the miraculous cure and recovery of antibiotics, and then believing that that can work for anything. Um, and the subtle difference that many many of us you know, don't realize is that antibiotics kill bacteria, not viruses. They're, they're basically, they can't do anything for viruses. And so if you have a viral infection, an antibiotic is not going to help you. It can't cure that. And in fact, if you take an antibiotic to try to kill a virus, not only will it not kill that virus, it will be killing all of the good bacteria that you really want to have to help you with things like your digestion, your immune system, um, your general overall health. And so we really don't want to be taking antibiotics um, unnecessarily. Necessarily. Certainly. The thing that I'm really concerned about as well, we have decimated our immune systems by having to wear masks all the time because we're not exposing ourselves to anything to get our immune system. It's kind of like a muscle that you need to work out. If you don't work it out, it doesn't work well. So um, I'm not slamming everyone that's wearing masks. I'm just saying that there's a byproduct that we're not thinking about. It's weakening our immune system. And with the over prescribing of antibiotics, that weakens our immune system as well. 
It does. And and one of the interesting things that scientists have discovered about this microbiome, uh, all these bacteria that are good for you, that, that are in and on your body, is that we... We used to have we used to have all of this this film of, of of bacteria and microbes on the outside of us on our skin. And they actually formed a protective shield so that all of the allergens and viruses and things on the outside world, they couldn't actually directly contact our immune system. They first had to get through all of these bacteria. And this is something that has uh, over time we've had. But recently, we are living in a very hygienic world in which we do. We take antibiotics. M many people shower every day, some people multiple times a day, and you're constantly killing off that protective shield. And one of the results of that is now your body, your immune system, has to directly interact with all these allergens in the outside world that it wasn't meant to directly interact with. And so as a result of that, you will see around you increasing numbers of people with allergies, asthma, respiratory issues, all of these things that are weakening our immune system because we're supposed to have all of these bacteria that are actually protecting us. Can I tell you a really bad parenting moment and where the light came on for me? I, this is embarrassing to tell, but <laughs> I feel comfortable with you, uh, Dr. Cutcliffe. So, uh, I, first time mom, we were talking about first time mom, you don't know anything, man, I bathe my baby multiple times a day. I mean, every, every bowel movement was like, oh, we'll do a little bath. It was just so precious. I had everything hygienic and sterilized, right? The entire house and anyone that came in it. And the poor guy always had ear aches and runny noses. A friend came over who, this was their, like, I don't know how many babies they had already popped out, but they came over to visit, right? And as our kids are playing on my sterile floor, her son picks up her husband's shoe and is gnawing on it. I am mortified. <laughs> are you kidding me? And I realized her kids are never sick. The light came on for me and I realized what I was doing. Well, that's a bit of what we're doing as we're walking around with hand sanitizers and uh, sterilizing our entire world. Yeah, we're really changing the way that we are meant to interact with nature. Um, you know, God created this earth, not just with humans on it, and yet we're trying to create a society in which there's only humans involved. And so this is really problematic. We need to uh, accept that we are a part of nature and the world around us. And as soon as we accept that, we understand that there's actually beneficial things about being in nature and beneficial things about interacting with the world around us. It's not all out there to hurt us. No, and I might say that sometimes it's not a horrible thing to get sick. You know, we, we don't want to get horribly sick, but it's not such a bad thing to be exposed to things. It, again, works up your immune system. Well, I, this is what's kind of cool about our guest, Dr. Colleen Cutcliffe. Uh, you pitched an idea to your boss, and it was about developing a probiotic to help people like your daughter. And um, so you weren't just sitting back saying, oh, this is unfortunate. Like many parents, I want to do something, and I don't want this to happen to other people's children. 
Absolutely. I think any of us who are parents, when you see something that your child is is dealing with or suffering from, your immediate thought is, well, how can I help? How can I step in here? And for me personally, being a scientist and having that background, I, I saw this happening to my daughter where she had all these food sensitivities. And then I read these studies that said she might be more likely to develop diabetes as she became an adult. And it became really clear for me that what I should spend my life doing is trying to help all of these people who have inadvertently and accidentally ended up in this situation where they are prone to having chronic health issues and kids especially are really prone to this. And, and I could really develop things that would be natural, that would bring us back in with nature, that could help people um, and, and even help my own daughter. And that's really what inspired me to start this company and to approach medicine and science in a really different way, which is not to develop these small molecule drugs and things that are not natural to our body, but instead mm -hmm. to look at the world around us and say, we have been given all the tools we need here. We just have to figure out how to use them appropriately. And that's really what we've been trying to do, create natural solutions that help people address health issues. Oh my gosh, you're a kindred spirit. I love you. <laughs> right, that is so right on. Look, I'm not opposed to medicines. I'm not opposed, as we talk about antibiotics today, to antibiotics. We have in our country uh, the best medicine for emergencies to really get in there and save a life that's on the edge. You know, if you have broken bones, if you are uh, inches away from death, we, we have great medicine for that. But for long term, taking care of issues, turning back some of the problems that plague us every day, we pop pills that make us almost like a, a cesspool of chemicals. It's, it's crazy. And antibiotics is up on the list. That If they're a last case uh, scenario to save someone's life, I'm all in. But if we could be doing things that are better for our bodies in the long run and don't cause long-term effects or interact with other conditions, I'm all for it. So let's talk a bit about what you discovered and what you are, what, what you're able to bring to the table. Well, the what we've discovered really all starts from this new emerging science around the microbiome. And the microbiome is all of the bacteria and the viruses and the fungi that live inside and on us. And this is a new science that people are just starting to realize uh, is super important for our health. So you actually have in your body 10 times more microbiome cells than human cells. So you have 10 times more of these microbiome cells in you than your own cells. And so the question is, well, what are they doing there? What, what, why are they there? And what happens if you get rid of them or you lose them? And so this uh, pivotal study that came out from the Mayo Clinic was really showing that, hey, when you get rid of some of these things, especially early on in life, you are losing key functions to your health and that when you lose those functions, you are setting yourself up for chronic diseases. And so we said, uh, all right, let's go in and figure out what are these different parts of the microbiome that are important and how can we give them back to people? It doesn't matter why you lost them. Maybe you had to take antibiotics. Maybe you have a life that's super stressful and so you're losing these different uh, bacteria. Maybe you're aging and you're losing bacteria. Maybe you're going through menopause and you're losing these bacteria. All these things happen to us and we're losing these bacteria. How do we figure out who they are and put the right ones back into us? And so 
you know, every day we suit up, we go into the lab, and it's like you've been given these thousands of puzzle pieces, and you're sitting down, and you're taking each one and trying to figure out how do they match together, what are the things that are going to form the picture that I need to put back into people. And then we're taking those things out of the lab, and we're testing them in people to see if I give you back these microbial strains, if I give you back these probiotics, do you get better? And for the last almost decade, we've been working on this with the core belief that you can take these naturally occurring things that you had at one time in your life and have lost. Like, let me ask you this, Michelle, do you remember a time in your life in which you could eat or drink whatever you wanted and you'd have to worry about your metabolism? Oh man, do I miss those days, especially around the holidays. <laughs> Oh, yes. Cookie time makes it really hard to remember those days. Well, this is the thing. As we age over time, we are losing these certain parts of our microbiome that are causing our metabolism to change. As we age, as we go through menopause, as we get sick, as we have different diets, as we have stress, these are all causing us to lose these microbes. And so what we have done, what we spent the last decade doing is identifying what are those things. And our most recent clinical trial data was just published in BMJ and showed that with this um, product that we've created that have these probiotics in them, um, it works as well as a drug for people with diabetes, but it has the safety of a probiotic. I'm so enchanted. I am ever amazed at awe of creation. I mean, our bodies are made to heal. Uh, there are there seems to be everything out there in nature if we would just discover it that can bring us uh, to a a better state health-wise. We've lost that art of natural health and we're just now rediscovering it. And it's sad to me. It's exciting and it's sad to me, Dr. Cutcliffe, because uh, if we would have stayed on that track and not gotten sidetracked with replacing all things natural with just pop a pill, uh, we would be well beyond the science right now. I'm. That's sad to me. The exciting thing is uh, people like you are picking up that banner and saying, no, let's get back to this science because this is really what's better for us. This is this is what I would call true advanced medicine. Well, I think there have been huge advancements in medicine, um, you know, from things that people have created from their minds. But I think that now is the time to look back and say, well, what are all the tools that exist in the world around us that we've been uh, kind of discarding or ignoring or burying? And, and how do we bring them back? And how do we enable natural things to work in the world in which we live in and, and not try to outsmart what's been given to us. <laughs> ah, well put. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. I will just say it. Uh, that is just my thought. And uh, something that uh, Dr. Chrissy, who joins us, Dr. Uh, Chris Hagelin, who joins us from time to time, has continually said uh, something that is that seems revolutionary to many of us, um, that health starts in the gut, that gut health is where it's all about. Would you agree with that based on what we've been talking about? 
Gut health is one of the most important parts of our health. M many people who exercise uh, may have heard your uh, your coach talking about your core. Oh, you got to work your core. You got to have a really strong core because if you have a strong core, then you can work out for as long as you ever want. Well, it's actually the same. The core for our bodies is our gut health, our gut microbiome. And so we have been ignoring that gut microbiome for, you know, decades, centuries. Um, but we, you know, Michelle, we inherently know that that there's something in there that's important for us. Many people eat yogurts, many people have been taking probiotics, are trying to eat healthy foods because we know that there are natural things out there that are helping our gut health. We just haven't fully understood how to approach it like a science. And, and that's really what we're doing at Pendulum is approaching it like a science and saying, how do we figure out what are the key components in nature out there that are helping us? Um, one of the, the interesting things that I've observed is um, how we think about our bodies and our gut health and nature. Um, you know, if I ask you to close your eyes and think about a, a nature scene, a scene in nature, something that's really calming and relaxing and just nature. And then I ask you, all right, open your eyes now and think about that scene. Were there any humans in that scene? Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> just me we have removed ourselves from society being a part of nature and that nature is what's feeding our gut mm -hmm. health feeding our gut microbiome and enabling us to be healthy with the world in which we live in and that's mm -hmm. really the core of what we're doing at pendulum and there's going to be a new wave next generation of probiotics that come out that are going to approach this in a very scientific way and try to bring back all of the things in nature that are really going to be helping us advance our own health I'm so excited about that. And I'm, I'm so supportive of companies like yours that are making a difference and utilizing nature. Uh, what we have found is that when there are great products out there, though, um, they get kind of bought up by the big companies and then compromised with some of the uh, purity of the ingredients. Have you seen that happen? Absolutely. You know, one of the issues that uh, we face is is economics and um, everybody is trying to drive to the lowest cost. How can I get this thing as cheap as possible so that people want to buy it? And, you know, the saying you get what you pay for. Yeah. Well, if somebody is there trying to drive to the lowest price, guess what? They're going to cut corners. They're going to have their, their item manufactured wherever they can get the cheapest cost. They're going to have things shipped in a way, uh, handled in a way, cut ingredients out. You know, for us, it was very important that we do all of our research as well as all of our manufacturing in the USA. Everything about our product is all made in the US. And that's not just that's not because we're biased against other countries, but that's because this is where we know that what you have the control are like we have mm -hmm. control over it. There are very high standards in the U.S. for all of these things. There are checks and balances. And we want to make sure that we are creating something that is high quality because that's what people deserve to get. And so if you're looking, you know, you're, you're, you're bargain hunting with your health and you're trying to find the cheapest uh, product that's out there, you're going to end up with the companies that are figuring out the way to make things as inexpensive as possible and not things that are have the, the most efficacy as possible. And Dr. Cutcliffe, uh, going back to my uh days of a, you know being an early mom and having the light turned on for me the lights kind of turned on for me as well with the choices we make with the products that we put into our bodies if we want to take vitamins going to the dollar store may not be the best option I understand that time, sometimes times can be tough 
economically. But in the long run, when you're making health decisions and you are putting the right things in your body and you may be spending, sometimes spending a little bit more than the dollar store of vitamins and such and supplements, um, you're making a choice that staves off expenses in the long run. That's the heart to me of natural medicine, that sometimes it's a lot less expensive because it's less invasive. And you think of the billion dollar industry of big pharma, you know, those, those medicines aren't cheap. Uh, So comparatively, natural medicine really, really is. And yet, uh, we have to put that that thinking cap on and realize that I'm investing, not in just treating something for the rest of my life, but in healing myself and being well. Absolutely. It's many of us take vitamins and many of us understand that uh, by taking these different vitamins and supplements and probiotics, we're trying to do something good for our bodies. And so it's really important when you're looking for what there are shelves and shelves of all these things. It's very hard to pick sometimes. And so it's really important when you're looking at the labels of these things to see where are they manufactured? What is the concentration? You know, what are the number of milligrams and grams of the different things that are actually in the ingredient box so that when you're taking these pills, when you're giving these vitamins and probiotics to your children, to your parents, to your loved ones, you're actually doing good for people. You're giving them the high quality, good stuff that's really going to help them and not trying to, uh, you know, take the inexpensive or the cheap route on our health. That's really one thing about this pandemic is that it has put our health front and center. It has reminded us of good the thing. core things that are valuable. That's one good thing about it. <laughs> so you have given us a lot of insights, um, free help from the doctor. And uh, hey, don't worry about the dog. It's okay. I think it's charming. Just just bring the dog <laughs> right in. We're all working from home, girl. I'm telling you. Um but I wanted to just give this last couple minutes to you to, to talk to folks about uh, Pendulum and how, going to PendulumLife.com, uh, what they might be able to find there, what products are there, because we may have piqued their interest or they may have said, you know what, this is something that I need. So I, I would be remiss if I didn't give you a, a minute or two to just tell us what, what we might need and what we can find there. Thank you. Um, Well, we have spent the last almost decade trying to create a natural product that helps you improve the way your body fights sugar, the way your body metabolizes sugar and fibers. And so when you go to PendulumLife.com, what you'll find is this product that we have been developing and testing and retesting and and really manufacturing as well. Um, And it is uh, designed for people that are trying to improve the way their body metabolizes sugar. And so if you have type 2 diabetes, if you have prediabetes, if you have, you're healthy, but you have some reason to worry about how your body's metabolizing sugar, this is a product that um, is for you. And I myself, I do not have diabetes or prediabetes, but I take the product because what I found is that all of us, when we eat uh, lunch or anything with sugar in it, we go through these sugar spikes and then we have sugar crashes. And I would find myself in the early afternoon, you know, after lunch around two o'clock, really hitting a lull in my day. I would always say, if you have a meeting with me at 9 a.m., you're getting the smart Colleen. If you have a meeting with me at 2 p.m., <laughs> you're getting the tired Colleen. 
<laughs> um, and so what happens is as our body is going on this roller coaster all day long of sugar high, sugar lows, sugar high, sugar lows, it's causing us to feel tired and have foggy brains and not be as productive as we could be. And so what this product does is it helps you to metabolize those sugars better so that you're more stable throughout the day. And for many people, that shows up as better energy throughout the day, better sleep, um, in addition to the improved uh, glucose spikes and improved A1Cs. And so the product is, I'm really proud. It's something that my 13-year-old daughter is taking, I in my 40s am taking, and my 70-year-old mother are taking. Because all of us are really trying to help our bodies metabolize sugars better, and that's what this product does. Well, I really thank you for your time. This is our first time together on air, and I have just felt like uh, now you're one of my BFFs, so I appreciate that. You can go <laughs> to PendulumLife.com for more information on Pendulum, and uh, hopefully you can continue listening because uh, maybe uh, Dr. Cutcliffe will join us again. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. So get this. The World Health Organization, you've heard them in the news all this year. They've declared AMR, antimicrobial resistance, as one of the top 10 global public threats facing humanity and the biggest threat to modern medicine. Wow. It makes the coronavirus possibly pale in comparison by 2050. 2050, 50 years from now, AMR will take more than 10 million lives they anticipate and the cumulative cost to the global economy, $100 trillion. That's according to a study titled Antimicrobial Resistance in the Environment. This is where we're at today. And a recent report by the World Health Organization said that this public health emergency is huge. And without action, we're going to end up in a post-antibiotic era. So that is what we've been talking about today. But you know, we get to the God story. And for me, the God story is also the hope story. Is there really hope? Talking about what is already out there, what can be done, and what science really isn't telling us. I've invited a doctor who has written a book that is, I think, in the title alone, gives us that hope. Her book is called Healing When It Seems Impossible Seven Keys to Defy the Odds. Think about how healing could seem impossible in an antibiotic free world. Dr. Sharuko Sokic joins us. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted. In the introduction, you talk about defying the odds. How did we get to this place where uh, we really don't look for healing? We look for Band-Aid cures. Uh, and I don't think that we really realize our bodies are indeed just miraculously made to heal themselves. Well, I think um, a lot of reasons that we get to that particular place. But I think the most important thing is that many people end up feeling hopeless and, and scared when they don't understand what's happening to their bodies. Yeah. And so it's so much more common now because of various things in our environment and the way our diets are and how busy and stressed we are. I think um, people are more prone to get mysterious or difficult to heal illnesses mm. and then they feel lost. 
And I've spent my whole career pretty much helping people who have mysterious problems get well. Wow. So let's talk a little bit about your background. What kind of things you've seen? Uh, what? Because I think it tells the story of, well, America and our yeah. health. The things I've seen, well, yeah. I used to be a surgeon. <laughs> so yeah. My original training was in general surgery. And mm. then I had sort of an early midlife crisis and felt like surgery wasn't the right career because I wanted to help people who were in pain in different ways. And I read this book on Chinese medicine and started uh, studying acupuncture. And so then I trained in acupuncture and Chinese medicine for several years. And then over the course of, I've been in practice now since 1993 in Santa Rosa, California. And over the course of those years, I've dealt with people who have problems where they see five, six, seven doctors before they come to me um, with difficult problems that nobody seems to have the answer to. And I've also had my own parallel journey of healing various health conditions and emotional traumas in my own life, which played a role in how I came to this book. As we look at coming on an age that may bring an end to things that we've completely relied on, like antibiotics, as we've talked about today, sometimes we have to look beyond what we know and dig a little deeper. Emotional and physical connection, that's a real thing. I'll give one really graphic example. I had a, a fairly young gentleman who was a firefighter several years ago who had a problem with his knee. And he came in for acupuncture because he didn't want to have surgery. And um, I did a few treatments on him, and he, he didn't seem to get better. And so I kept asking him, what's stressing you? What's going on in your life? Because... It was a fairly simple problem from the perspective of acupuncture works for that. And he said, oh, no, nothing. I'm married. I have a couple kids. Everything's great. And he kept saying that. And then finally, on one visit, he came in and he said, oh, I just hung out with my dad today. And I said, oh, what, how was that? And he said, my dad's an alcoholic. Oh and then all these alarms went off. And so I explained to him about the emotional connection and about how traumas from childhood could affect his physical health. And the legs have to do with your connection to your family. And so he got really interested and he went and looked into it and found uh, adult children of alcoholics uh, membership. And and it began to change everything. And after that, his knee got better and he didn't need surgery and he didn't need any more acupuncture because it, like, it changed everything for him to finally understand that the emotions had a, a role in his physical problem. I'm not surprised, but I'm floored. We keep trying to treat symptoms, but we don't realize that we are kind of body, mind, and spirit. In studying Chinese medicine, you're dealing with kind of a whole person aspect. Things are interconnected. Mm -hmm. We don't have that connection in the way that we view medicine in the West often. Well, it's, every every discipline has its good things and every discipline has its philosophy that it comes from and I think Western medicine comes from the perspective of using science as a tool to understand what's going on with the body and uh, the problem with science is that there's always new science and that mm -hmm. there's that we don't know everything. 
And in our world where we think we're very advanced, we have ignored the emotional and spiritual aspect at times. Science actually isn't there yet. And and the philosophy of Chinese medicine is, is 5,000 years old, and it began from the perspective of understanding the connection of our bodies to everything else, to nature, to our spirits, to, wow. to the flow of energy. And so that philosophy continues, you know, and, and looking at where is the energy out of balance? How can I help my body get in better balance? And it involves all of who we are. Whereas if you just use science as the, the root of your understanding, you have the limitation of what we're able to discover with science. You know, I've been a physician since 1984, so a while. <laughs> And science back then um, had different information than it does now, you know, and we're just now in the last 10 years getting to understand the brain in ways that we didn't understand it all of the time that I've been in practice. And so there's so much information available through science, but it has limitations because we, we don't know everything. Dr. Shiroko Sokic is our guest. She is the author of Healing When It Seems Impossible, Seven Keys to Defy the Odds. When we're dealing with the coronavirus, a global pandemic, when we're looking at the possible end of antibiotics, is it possible? And I say yes. You address something in your book that I think is such a basic question. And I laughed when I read, what does it mean to heal? Because you would think we know, but... Sure. Thank you for asking. Um, well, what it mean, what it does it mean to heal is a question that I ask a lot of people. And it, you know, I remember I used to be in a networking group and, and I asked everybody, what does it mean to be healthy? And they basically said, we don't want our bodies to be bothering us. For me, what it means mm. to heal is so much more than not being bothered by your body. Um, it means that you're thriving in your life, that you, are, you have the connections and the wellness and the ability to do what it is you dream of doing and to live the life that you love. And, and when your body is well, it's, it's not just physically well, but it's emotionally, spiritually, and in every other way, well. Well put. All right, here we are in an age of superbugs, super viruses. In your book, you also talk about something that superhero buffs like me really enjoy, that healing mm -hmm. is my superpower. <laughs> yes, that's my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way. And this is this is actually uh, a kudos to you because as as a doctor, uh, you are able to communicate the information that you've learned, the experiences that you've had in ways that everyday people can understand so that they can go on their own health journey. And uh, when you said that healing is our superpower, and that's the first key, let's talk about what you meant. Well, first of all, love is the healing superpower. So um, I think the most healing energy in the universe is love, mm -hmm. and that everything is connected through love, you know, our cells communicate the energy that, that they use to communicate is through love. The, um, 
the connections that we have with people that we care about are love connections and the connections that we have with our bodies are love connections and your healing superpowers like so um, I talk about when you have a difficult health problem as a hero's journey that mm, it's yeah. a learning journey where you are discovering what your body wants to show you and if you treat your body as your friend love is your healing superpower and you love your body and you love even if you feel like it's betraying you at the moment because a lot of people come to me when they feel betrayed by their bodies oh. I want to take that and transform it into love and to show you that healing is possible all right folks now here's the God story we always try to get to John 1 4 reminds us that God is love so that love that we have shed abroad in our hearts can be part of that superpower of healing love connects us I think we've seen enough documentation of people who have had uh, some of the things that our society says you know you, you can treat it but you just can't get over it and things like anxiety and depression auto immune disorders, diabetes. Even as we've been talking about today, antibiotic resistant issues and issues that we've just thrown antibodies at, antibiotics at. These are some of the things that plague America more than any other things. I, I would also offer heart disease, cancer. Uh, we can see those issues turn back. Yes. Wow share with us briefly some of the keys in your book which is healing when it is when it seems impossible seven keys to defy the odds sure so the first key is love as i've mentioned and the second key is finding physical balance and i blend chinese and western medicine and over the years of bringing those two disciplines together i figured out that if you have a mystery illness or if you have a problem that nobody knows the answer to, there are certain things you can do for your body that will get it in balance. And that I call a triangle of wellness, which is your hormones, your nervous system, and your immune system. And if you get those three things functioning, those three systems functioning in your body, then you will have the tools to heal no matter what. Um, so if you, if you get your immune system, your nervous system, and your hormones in balance, then you can begin the healing journey, even if you have some mystery that nobody knows the answer to. Oh, that's powerful. How, how do you do that, basically? Boosting your immune system has been on the forefront of all of our minds during this COVID crisis. Uh, eating mm -hmm. foods that help to feed our immune system, uh, t mm -hmm. staying away from things like sugar. Uh, but but I, I would say that hormones and uh, your nervous system are, are ones that we're not as familiar with. Would you agree? Yes. Well, the uh, nervous system we're just beginning to understand in Western science. Um, but there are chemicals that our nervous system produces and there are hormones that like our adrenal glands produce not just cortisol and which a lot of people are familiar with, but they produce over 25 hormones and you can measure all of this with regular Western science and, and figure out what's out of balance and then ah. use tools to help like you can use either bioidentical hormones or you can use herbs and supplements to help support those systems so that they begin to come back in balance. Oh, that's powerful. 
Very yeah. powerful information there. So it really is a balancing act. And I think of uh, our bodies as body, soul, and spirit. You know, so you have uh, my physical body, my emotions, and the, my, my spirit, so to speak. Just kind of like there are differing parts of me. And yeah. we address those. Uh, we don't always address those when we just look at the science. And so we're missing maybe science will address the body, so to speak, but we're missing mm-hmm. two big aspects of who we are. And I kind of see that uh, mirrored in if we're dealing with hormones, nervous system and immune system, you know, three parts that need to be in balance. It seems like uh, that's the name of the game, finding that balance. Yes. And, you know, when you talk about spirit and for me, if we work with our hormones and align our physical body, our spirit will it'll be easier to work with. It's easier to connect to. If your physical body lines up, then your spirit and your emotions are more easy to work with, and it becomes a whole different experience. Wow. You also talk about learning to listen to our bodies. Yes. How do we do that? Well... <laughs> I'm teaching a course on that, but huh, sign me up. <laughs> the, the, the book has the whole the chapter on how to listen to your body, and and the first thing we do is start with what you know. So you you know certain things, and and many people maybe don't even listen to their bodies until they get to a place where they're in pain. But once you're in pain, you know you're in pain. That's a thing, and you can begin to listen to that. Hopefully, you're not in pain now. You also know when you're hungry or you know when you're sleepy. And those are just the beginnings of information that your body is giving you all the time. You constantly are getting information. And so I've put together a, a list of tools for you to understand what those signals are using Chinese medicine and using the tools of Chinese medicine to help you understand your own body. So that's what it is. Those are powerful tools to the way you approach uh, healing. Again, taking some of the science of the best uh, that we've been able to discover in in recent years, uh, that's fabulous. But you also marry it with 5,000 years worth of studying the human body, the anatomy, how things interwork with your body with itself and with the world around it. Don't forget, my friend, that's science, too. Truly, just in our final couple of minutes together, first, I want to thank you because your book is one of the most powerful that I've read on healing. It's called Healing When It Seems Impossible, Seven Keys to Defy the Odds. But I thought maybe I would just ask you, what is it that you want uh, potential readers, because I'm sure everyone's going, I got to get that book. There's not one of us who isn't touched in one way or another by some health issue uh, through ourselves or someone that we love, and this has piqued our interest, believe me. What do you want readers to know? I think that I want you to know that there's hope and that even when it seems impossible, that there are tools and ways that you can find to heal. And I've laid out a map for you that you can use by reading this book. You can use that map to find your answers for your own health and your journey of healing. 
Well, thank you for writing this book. It has been such a joy to speak with you. You obviously have a love and passion, not just for what you do, but for bringing healing to our world. The book is Healing When It Seems Impossible, Seven Keys to Defy the Odds. Dr. Shiroko Sokich is the author and our guest. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I'm feeling health news. Good. I'm feeling good. Well, 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 maybe we can help you feel good with some good news for your health. When we're looking at health and we're looking at antibiotics, we've given you some pretty dire thoughts, but there, it's as though the God story says you are never left without hope. I'm a firm believer that when the Bible says that God's given us all things for life and godliness, that that means our lives, our health. So there are some pretty cool things out there that are helping with antibiotic resistance. It's all because, well, we've kind of overdone it. Researchers today reported a stunning 30% of outpatient antibiotic prescriptions are unnecessary. 47 million prescriptions each year. The concern? Antibiotics are so overprescribed, dangerous superbugs are growing immune to them. Children three and under receive the most antibiotics, often for ear infections, which are usually viral and don't even respond to the drugs. But parents still want them. Meanwhile, researchers say healthy adults can often fight off bacteria infections on their own. 40% of outpatient antibiotic use is for ear, sinus, or respiratory infections. Fully half of those prescriptions unnecessary. So that's part of the good news. Get educated and stop overusing antibiotics. Don't take them unless they're absolutely necessary and look towards some of the very cool alternatives. Let's share some of them. Some of them are a little strange. I didn't even know about this. Phages. What? It's called a phage, a natural enemy of Clostridium difficile, the antibiotic-resistant superbug that causes 14,000, sometimes fatal, cases of diarrhea each year. Research at the University of Leicester shows that the phage is effective against 90% of C. diff strains. Scientists say the virus is safe for humans and much more pleasant than antibiotic treatment. So whereas if you take an antibiotic for a particular infection, it would also kill the beneficial bacteria that are found in your gut. So you can feel a bit groggy and a bit sick until your bacterial flora establishes itself. Whereas a virus would just kill that one bacteria that you were interested in removing from, from the human body and be able to just target that infection without leaving the rest of the bacteria that you actually need intact. So far, scientists have found 26 strains of the phage that attack the superbug. Some East European clinics have been using phage therapy for many years. In the past, Western medicine has been fairly sniffy about the treatment. But now that antibiotics are beginning to run out, Western scientists are taking another look at nature's bacterial killers. Well, well, maybe it's time we stop being so sniffy, don't you think? And here's an interesting story coming from France. They've taken an unusual angle at studying how... Um, bacteria can be spread, especially, say, in hospitals, because uh, a lot of folks die because of things they actually catch in hospitals. So check this out. Analyzing the types of surfaces that can harbor drug-resistant bacteria in a healthcare setting. Think of the formica, the formites, uh, the objects that 
uh, you put things on, the tabletops, those kind of things. Well, what is most likely to harbor infectious organism? Now, you wouldn't think wood would be helpful, right? You don't see a lot of wood. You see stainless steel and and the likes, right, in hospitals. Wood is old school, has uh, surfaces that are porous, nooks and crannies and such, uh, where you would think bacterial colonies could flourish. But this team from France compared oak to aluminum, polycarbonate, stainless steel that you see in hospitals. And they found drug-resistant bacterial infections in these surfaces. Well, oak fared best in thwarting their pathogenic growth. That is crazy. Just good old-fashioned oak. And then there's another strange story dealing with antibiotic properties. A team from Rutgers University is looking into the idea that microbes in the saliva of wild animals could have some antibacterial properties. Scientists captured a wild East Siberian bear and studied hundreds of oil droplets containing its microbes. They found one of the bacteria studied killed Staphylococcus. Boils, impentago, food poisoning, and toxic shock syndrome are all examples of conditions caused by staph. Wild animals eat and drink whatever. So researchers surmise the bacteria that inhabit them must in some way protect them. Report wow, that is fascinating. But we'll end with a kind of a funny note. What if you could just have a little probiotics in your beer? Thanks to researchers at the National University of Singapore, probiotic beer will soon be a thing. Probiotics are naturally present in some fermented beverages, like kefir. It's a bit more complicated to pull off with beer because of the highly concentrated acids present in hops, which inhibit bacterial growth. But a team of beer-loving scientists found a modified brewing process with a healthy dose of probiotics. See, we've got your back here on My Michelle Live podcast. Thanks for being with us today. More Health Watch at MyMichelleLive.com.